0: Hello and welcome to Renewing Your Mind, a web-based ministry of South Bay Community Church located in Fremont, California. It is our prayer that today's broadcast will be a blessing to you. Let us prepare our hearts to hear the word of the Lord.
1: Welcome, welcome to South Bay Community Church. My name is Lita, and I'm the youth and young adult pastor here. I just wanted to welcome you guys here. Good morning, good morning. <clears throat> Can I get a show of hands of um, who here likes to go camping? Just real quick. I know we just exited camping season. I just want to get a show of hands. Great, great. Now let me get a show of hands who hates camping. Who hates it with a passion? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I see you guys. I see you guys. There was a, um, there was a comedian I was watching. And he said he married a woman who loves to camp, but he's what you call indoorsy. And he said, um, I'm surprised we can still get people to camp. Hey, you want to burn a couple vacation days sleeping outside on the ground? What if I told you You had to go boo-boo in the woods. Uh, I still wouldn't go. But you get to wake up freezing covered in rashes. All right, you sold me. I guess I'll go then. He says that my wife is always bringing up that camping was a tradition in my family. Sure, it was a tradition in everyone's family until they invented houses. Anyways. I don't even know why we're talking about camping, but I just thought it was interesting because we're looking at the life of Moses and he did a lot of camping too. So I felt, you know, we should talk a little about camping to start it off. He did a lot of camping. You guys already know that. He he entered Egypt and he took the people and he administered 10 plagues upon uh, uh, the Pharaoh and his people. And he took his people out And then he crossed the Red Sea, and after crossing the Red Sea, he faced the wilderness with treacherous land and armies, and then he administered God's law, spent decades there. You could say he was a man that knew how to camp. Let me read this passage again, because I want us to focus on exactly what is happening right now. And I want to focus on this little part here, on verse 5. In Deuteronomy 34, it says, That Moses climbed Mount Nebo, from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah, across from Jericho. There the Lord showed him the whole land, from Gilead to Dan, And then it goes into all this detail about the land, all the things he saw, all the different landscape and the parts. And then in verse 5, it says, and Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there. Verse 4, it said that, I have let you see it with your eyes, but I will not let you cross over into it. And that's where Moses was buried. I mean, come on. Moses. The guy that carried the weight of his people on his shoulders out of Egypt. And then there he was standing on this mountain, overseeing the promised land. And God says, no, completely denied. I mean, you can't help but think it's a little cruel. A little bit. I mean, all because, and some of you know the story, he He was commanded to speak to a rock to feed them water. And instead of speaking to the rock, he hid it. And so because of his disobedience, God said, You will not enter the promised land. But you got to wonder. i got to wonder looking at this passage. It's so detailed. Right? I mean, just... Then Moses climbed Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah, across from Jericho. There the Lord showed him the whole land from Gilead to Dan. All of Naphtali, the territory of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah, the Mediterranean Sea, the Negev, the whole region from the valley of Jericho, the city of Palms, as far as Zor. That's the land of Israel. If you can imagine, it's approximately the size of New Jersey. And it was painstakingly described. But it wasn't given to him. You can't help but wonder, isn't this a little bit cruel? I mean, it's kind of like bringing you to Red Lobster, <clears throat> one of my favorite places to go. And it's like ordering the finest items on the menu. The wood-grilled split main lobster tail. Mm. The steamed North American snow crab legs. The pear-isle jumbo coconut shrimp and wild-caught sea scallops, even though I'm not sure how wild-catching sea scallops can really get. And after setting them all before you on that table, you can smell it, you can taste it, you know, the the aromas are rising, and you're just salivating and saying, no, can't touch it. Can't have none of it. Could you imagine just how Moses felt? Now, I can imagine him standing there on that mountain, with the wind in his hair, all epic like, because, you know, in the movies, they always have long hair and just breezing, you know. <laughs> at least that's how I picture it. And then staring over all of the land, and God saying, You can't have any of this. Could you imagine how Moses could have felt at that moment, after all that he's gone through? Disappointed? Devastated? I wouldn't be surprised if he was crying. How many people here feel that way sometimes? You work so hard towards something, giving everything you've got, and at the very end, it just doesn't work out. That marriage, that crumbled, or that person that you're waiting for in your life, that spouse that you so desperately want and you've been working towards, or that job offer that you so desperately need, or promotion. How about waiting for your kids to get their act together? Or waiting for the doctor to say anything good? Moses ushered ten super plagues upon Egypt, took its working backbone out of it, led them through an ocean into the wilderness and defeated foreign kings. And at the end of it all, He died on that mountain. Yes, there was anguish. Yes, there was tremendous disappointments. There was pain in not making it all the way to the end, to that promised land. But I have a word today, and I want to say this, that Moses was not alone on that mountain. I want to say this. While he was denied something he gave blood, sweat, and tears for, he was with somebody who would give his blood, sweat, and tears. You see, God was with him on that mountain. In verse 1, it says, There the Lord showed him the whole land. In verse 4, it says, Then the Lord said to him. In verse 6, it was the Lord that buried him. God was with Moses on that mountain. And while he was denied the promised land, for which he had to undergo the most extreme circumstances, could it be that for Moses, the promised land was something completely different? We were, as a staff, uh, Pastor Tammy brought us through this great book called "Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership Ruth Barton and it talks about Moses and how he did not enter the promised land and this is what the author says could it be that the promised land is more personal than we think could it be that the promised land is less about a physical destination or thing and more about a way of being that enables us to love God fully Is the land flowing with milk and honey a metaphor for this way of life that is good and that enables you to be with God on His own terms for you? Is it possible for someone to have encountered God so richly that no matter what we are looking for, we already know we have what we most deeply need? The presence of God. You see, while there was tremendous pain in being denied the promised land, Moses was not denied the only thing he needed, God. St. Augustine said, The reward of God, the reward of God is God himself. Tell your neighbor, the reward of God is God himself. The reward of God is not fancy clothes or a nice car. The reward of God is not a salary or a house or a spouse. The reward of God is not a job or social status or stunning good looks. The reward of God is God Himself. I think if we understand this concept, it's pretty radical. Because we live our lives going through this way. We need God and that nice salary. And the, I mean, the reward of, we need God and, you know, uh, uh, that perfect, uh, 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 picture perfect family. We need the reward of God and that car. We, we need the reward of our God and children and a spouse. So we, we have all these things we bucket in and we say, yes, this is great, God, but I like these other things as well. I gotta repeat this. The reward of God is God himself. Let me explain it this way. We left, uh, my wife and I left our car at my parents' house the other day. Actually, a little while ago. And we left it parked in their driveway and I gave my dad the keys. And a few weeks after that, we received uh, a notice that there was a parking ticket for that very car. So I called my dad and I said, "Dad, did you um, did you drive my car?" And he's like, "No." But you know, I, I gave him permission. I was like, "You know, you need parked in your you know your, your driveway. You can drive it." But he's like, "No." I was like, D- "You know, we got a parking ticket, um, in Oakland where you work, by the way." <laughs> on October thirtieth, did you did you drive our car? Um, maybe. (laughs) Hey, Dad, um, I know it was you. Come on. You have the keys, right? You work in Oakland. Come on. Um, okay, fine. Uh, Take your car back. I don't want it there anymore. (laughs) Who does that? Who is like, blames you for parking your car there so that they get a parking ticket? I love my dad. That's how our conversations go a lot. But let, let me, the reason I shared that is because, you know, fa- facing, facing life and going through life, understanding this mentality that we have God and the reward of God is God himself, is kind of like this. It's kind of like when we face a problem. It's kind of like this. Facing a problem in our lives, it's kind of like getting a parking ticket when you win the lottery. Okay, see, those are like... Kind of contradictory terms, but one really, you know, trumps the other, you know what I mean? It's like, it's like you getting a parking ticket, and yes, you'll have to deal with that parking ticket. You'll have to pay the 50 bucks. You'll have to, you know, it's real, but you hit the lotto. You are a multi-millionaire. And that parking ticket is not going to be the end of you. You see, what Satan likes to do... He likes to make you forget that you've won the lotto and that now you're stupid, filthy rich. He likes to make you think that that parking ticket, whatever that is in your life, is the end of you. But we have to understand that he's working pretty hard at it. So now we have a bunch of multimillionaires sitting on their thumbs having pity parties over $50 parking tickets. We have to understand that with God, with God, that's all we need. No matter what we're facing. You see, God is with you. C.S. Lewis says, he who has God and everything else has no more than he who has God only. So that guy you saw in Forbes magazine flying that jet around that happens to own half of Manhattan and flies to his island getaway vacation once a year. And maybe he's Christian. Let's say he's Christian. He has no more than that man living in Motel 6 from paycheck to paycheck that has God as well. They both have God. And that changes everything. I think I think I think see, I think we hear it so often that I have God, yeah, yeah, sure, brother yeah, God bless you, we have God, God is good, God is good. No, I'm trying to say right now that you have God, and like and, and that it it makes everything else pale in comparison, like winning the lotto is like nothing- compa- it's like it's like, you know, uh um, you know, yeah, I won the lotto, <laughs> no. I won the lotto! Oh my goodness! And you're going to be screaming, running back and forth. You're going to be ecstatic. You're going to be overjoyed. Your attitude's going to change. Your lifestyle's going to change. Your approach to your problems are going to change. Everything's going to change. I think having God is like that. Except so many of us forget. Philippians 4, 6. It says, Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. We can see this in one of two ways. God could be moved to give you what you desire through your prayer. I'll say that again. God could be moved to give you what you desire through your prayer. I mean, that's what the Bible says, right? It says, don't be anxious, pray. Pray about it. If you want something, pray. Pray. So God could be moved to give you what you desire through your prayer. Or through your prayer, God could move your desire. Let me give you an illustration. Let's say I want a pair of kicks. I, my kids talked about Bread 11 a couple months ago. I don't, what's the newest stuff out? Bread 12s? I don't know. Where what, what are they on nowadays? You guys are really loud in youth church. I don't know why you guys are so quiet right now. <laughs> You guys would not stop talking in over there on Youth Church. I have to beg you guys to listen. So give me an example. What's like the newest pair of kicks that's out there? Okay. So we'll say bread 11s, newest Jordans. I could spend a lot of time praying for those new pair of kicks. I could spend a lot of time praying for them saying, God, give me what I desire. And God could grant me that. He could grant me those shoes or through my time spent in prayer, in my time submitting my spirit to God, in my time sitting in the presence of God, in my time being united and having communion and being in union with God, he can completely change my desire for those shoes. He can completely change it and help me understand that God himself is what I need. Students, it's not a bad thing to strive in school. I I, I think it's a good thing. You need to strive for academic excellence. And you need to make sure you do everything in your power and your resources given to you to succeed. But what if you get that college rejection letter? What if you get that below-par GPA? Can you say, God himself is your reward and that you're okay? Or are you going to be completely and utterly destroyed because your identity was wrapped in whatever grade you have accomplished, whatever school you were shooting for? Can you sincerely say that my God is my identity? That it's the reward of God is God himself? You see, Moses stood on that mountain, And saw with his own two eyes. He saw that promised land. But let me say something. It was God all along that was his promised land. Even though he was denied something, he thought he so wanted and needed. He was given God himself. Look at the life of Paul. In Philippians chapter 121... It says, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Live is Christ is an interesting phrase in the Greek because there's no verb there. If you just translate it, it just says live Christ. And so you can enter the word is. It's common grammatical construction of Greek. You can say, live is to be Christ, or live is Christ. And we try to interpret it in different ways. But what does this really mean to live is Christ? It does not mean that Christ is the source of Paul's existence. It does not mean that Christ lives in him only. It doesn't mean that he's living with Christ. It means something deeper than all of that. One scholar says that life means Christ. Life is summed up in Christ. Life is filled up with, occupied with Christ in the sense that everything Paul does loves, trusts, hopes, obeys, is inspired by Christ and done for Christ. Christ in Christ alone gives inspiration, direction, meaning, and purpose. To live is Christ. Can we say with genuine sincerity that no matter what we're yearning for, whatever promise line we're looking at and longing after, that our lives are Christ, period. Barbara Brown Taylor said that, Christ, if you are here, then nothing else matters. And if you are not here, then nothing else matters. Reverend King, on the night before he was assassinated in Memphis, Tennessee, he gave a speech called, I've been to the mountaintop. Prior to that, he was stabbed near the heart. Doctors said that if he even sneezed, the blade would have killed him. He spoke of receiving a letter from a little girl And it said this, while it should not matter, I would like to mention I'm a white girl. I read in the paper of your misfortune and of your suffering. And I read that if you had sneezed, you would have died. And I'm simply writing to say that I'm so happy you didn't sneeze. In his speech, King said, I'm so happy I didn't sneeze. And later on, he continues. He says, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead, but it really doesn't matter with me now. Because I've been to the mountaintop. And I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. Reverend King was more wrapped with being in God's presence. And living in his will than he was entering his own physical promised land. In the face of heart-stopping suffering, he displayed excessive joy knowing he was with God on that mountaintop. His promised land was God himself. And I try to look at my own life. I try to look at, well, how does this process, process for me? How does this apply for me? I've been married for six and a half years. And my wife and I have been trying to start a family for some time. And last, late in last year, we discovered that we conceived. In January, we found out it was a miscarriage. I was destroyed. She was devastated. We were, we were just speechless. The dreams that we had for this child. The desires and the wants that we had. The promised land of the family that I so wanted. Gone. I even held that picture in my hands and I said, look, my promised land. Look, my future. Look what I want, my desires. I can have. I'm about to have. We discovered about half a year later that we can see it again. On the night that we were scheduled to go to Grenada, that very night that our plane was to take off, the doctor told us that we are going to have another miscarriage. And we were just destroyed. Just destroyed. I mean, I just remember holding her before I had to go. My ride was outside the house waiting to take me to the airport. And we were just weeping. God, why? And I remember going through that week just in pain and in turmoil. And this is a testimony to the people of South Bay and to my kids and young adults because that team was incredible, completely responsible, completely responsive, surrounded me in prayer, loved me, supported me as I led them through that land, serving orphanages, serving children. And I look back, and I look back at what had happened these past two times. And I feel like God, I feel like He's taking us by the shoulders. He's saying, Lita and Jessica, am I enough for you? Is my presence enough for you? Or is it that family you've always wanted? Is it that kid you've always wanted to raise on your own? I look at this story of Moses and he stood on that mountain and he stared in the promised land and he could not step a foot into it and how it must have torn him apart inside but at the same time he was in the presence of God. And I see God. I see God taking us by the shoulders saying, Lita, Jessica, I know I know you have yet to enter this promised land. But am I enough for you? Is my grace sufficient for you? Is my presence enough for you? And all we can do, all we can do is look back. Say, yes, God. You are all we need. Yes. Yes, God. You are all we need. And yes, there is tremendous pain. Yes, there is sorrow, longing, and yearning for that promised land. But we are in the presence of God Himself. As St. Augustine said, the reward of God is God Himself. My promised land slipped through our fingertips two times. It slipped through. But I know we stand on a mountaintop, not alone. I know we stand on Mount Nebo, just as Moses stood on Mount Nebo thousands of years ago. And as he stared and he looked and he yearned for that promised land that he could not have. As he stood there, he stood in the presence of God, the creator of the universe that loves him so. And I know that we stand the same. We stand the very same. And sure we can provide solace to ourselves and comfort one another by saying we're young people have told me you're young leader you got plenty of time oh in god's timing in god's timing but that's still focusing on what we don't have that's still focusing on this other thing what we try and fight to do is to focus in being in the presence of God, no matter what we are yearning for, no matter what we're lacking, no matter what trouble keeps us up at night, because we know God is the ultimate. God is the ultimate. All this will be stripped away. And when we face God that day, we will face God alone. Our souls bare, standing before the throne. And that's all we will be doing is worshiping him for the rest of eternity. The sooner we understand that now, the sooner heaven can start now in our lives. And this is just fascinating. Because as I read this just then, it says in verse 7 that Moses was 120 years old when he died. Anyone here 120 years old? <laughs> Working on it. But get this it says in this passage, yet his eyes were not weak, nor his strength gone. And I do believe that is a testimony him being in the presence of God, God strengthening him, God keeping him, God nurturing him, even though he could not step foot in his promised land, and he died without having that promised land and going through everything you can imagine. That's a testimony to the promise that God will always be with us. The Israelites thirsted after that promised land. And partially because it represented rest. In Deuteronomy chapter 33, it said, When you live in the land that the Lord your God is giving you to inherit, and when he gives you rest from all your enemies around, so you live in safety. Basically, tying the connotation of rest with promised land. And rightfully so, they would desire that. Their life in Egypt was bondage and hard labor. The wilderness was wandering and restlessness. So you can't blame them for desiring this rest. I want to stand here before you this morning and say that there is a greater promise of rest provided to us today, right now, in this room. A rest that took Moses by the hand and led him to green pastures and still waters. A rest that gave Paul the meaning of life. It gave Reverend King a peace about death. A rest that transcends our understanding. One that isn't marked by a physical destination. An airplane ticket can't get you there. But it's found in the presence of God himself. As St. Augustine said, The reward of God is God himself. Moses was yearning for that promised land. But he was yearning from the mountaintop in the presence of the living artisan creator of the universe. Here's the question this morning. What are you yearning for? This is where it gets real. What are you hurting about? What do you desire most and that you don't have? What causes you to stay up at night and gives you headaches and brings tears to your eyes? What do you so desire? What are you yearning for? What is your promised land? Is it your son that you raised That you gave your all. That you tried your hardest to raise in a godly fashion. Disciplining in love. Committing everything you've got. And now you see him running wild. And it just tears you up inside. And you yearn for him to come back. To know God as he once did. What are you yearning for? What do you desire out of God? What do you desire? What is your promised land? Is it money? Is it a a job that fulfills you? Is it a job at all? Is it a promotion? You've worked so hard. You've gotten your degrees and your diplomas and your years of experience. And now you're just pissed off. You're angry. You're unsettled. You're grumpy. Your work is not the place for you. And you yearn for uh, the grass is greener on the other side. What are you yearning for? Is it that spouse? Is it that spouse that you thought you would have by now? Is it that spouse that you need so badly to help you raise those kids? Is it that spouse to help you feel that you are loved and you are valuable and that you're worth it, you're worth it to be loved? What are you yearning for? Do you know that as you yearn for whatever promised land that is, that you can stand just as Moses stood. You can stand just as Moses stood on Mount Nebo. And no matter what you're yearning for, you can be standing in the presence of God himself. And that's all the promised land you will ever need. The presence of God himself. Not some thing. Not some possession. Not some status. But it's God. We have to remind ourselves that every day we wake up. Because we are bombarded by the opposite. Oh, you need this. You got to look thinner. need some more hair on that head. like this nut- fancy, shiny car? You need it. You need this relationship. Go online. I don't got, I don't got anything against online dating, by the way. I just, just want to say that. I actually, you know, it's not that. Anyways. What are you yearning for? Are you allowing what you are yearning for? to completely take over and grip your heart to completely strip you of your peace yes there's times where my wife and I would just cry there's times where we would just weep there's times where we would just break down i just find myself doing chores and randomly i would just break down my promised land and it's i'm not i'm not Sitting around thinking, yes, you know what? I am young. Yes, I can adopt. Yes, all these other options laid before me. I think what God is trying to teach me is, am I enough? Is God enough? Because his word tells us that his grace is sufficient. What is your promised land? And can you know can you feel that no matter what status you have in attaining that, that you can stand on that mountain in, in the presence of a holy living God that wraps his arms around you and says, you are my child. I love you. You're okay. You're okay. I got you. Everything you need is right here in my presence. Let's pray. Father God, we have been through tremendous pain with nights without sleep and hearts that are wrenched with sorrow, yearning for things that seem forever out of our reach, wanting things that we feel would satisfy. But God, your word and this story of Moses shows us that your presence is all we need. So would you make that a reality right now, right here in this room? Would you show up in such a way that would blind us? Your glory and your grace and your satisfaction would blind us and overwhelm us to the point that we can say, yes, we have pain in our yearning, but we have God. And that changes everything. I want to give you some time and space right now. Whatever you're yearning for, whatever you desire, to bring it before God and allow Him to administer His presence in your life so that He satisfies you and Him alone. Go ahead. Take that time now.
0: Thank you for joining us for this installment of Renewing Your Mind, a web-based ministry of South Bay Community Church, located at 47385 Warm Springs Boulevard, Fremont, California. We can be found on the web at www.sobcc.org. We'd like to take a moment to invite you to come and join us in person for one of our dynamic Sunday morning worship services. Services begin at 8 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. each Sunday And we would be so blessed to have you come worship with us. We'd also love to hear from you a word about how this ministry is helping you renew your mind for the glory of Jesus Christ. So please contact us and we pray God's blessings over you the rest of this day. God bless.